Welcome to OhiCast, where we pull back the curtain to take a sneak peek at the upcoming 76th Ojai Music Festival, taking place June 9th to 12th in the beautiful Ojai Valley, California. All are welcome here, from newcomers to longtime music fans. In-depth insights and special guests will help introduce this year's programming and whet your musical appetites for what's to come. I'm your host, Emily Praetorius, and this is OhiCast. Our first episode introduces us to Amok, a multidisciplinary collective and the 2022 music director for the Ojai Music Festival. We'll be hearing from the festival's artistic and executive director, Ara Guzalimian, as well as Amok co-founder and director, Zach Winokur, and Amok violinist, Kyrgo Gwilt. They'll give us some insight into Amok's ambitious programming this year and some background about the opening day concerts on Thursday, June 9th. But what exactly is Amok, you may be asking? AMOC, A-M-O-C, which stands for American Modern Opera Company, is a multidisciplinary collective of instrumentalists, vocalists, composers, dancers, choreographers, and really, at the heart of it, innovative musical thinkers. Founded by Matthew O'Coin and Zach Winokur, AMOC is a close group of artists who produce, perform, and create flexibly together based on shared core values and long-standing partnerships. With 17 core members, they have taken the new music world by storm with their collaborative and communal approach to music and dance. I chatted with artistic and executive director Ara Guzalimian about why Amok was chosen as this year's music director and what it's been like working with them so far. What we would all like to know for the viewers who are coming to the festival is why Amok? Uh, What was the first instance and inspiration behind this? When I was first asked um, to take over the artistic leadership of the festival, I really immediately had a paired set of thoughts. Um, This is the actual 75th anniversary of the festival, which was founded in 1947. And last September's festival was the the 75th festival. So we thought of these as two bookends marking the 75th anniversary of the festival. And um, I've had the real joy and close association of working with John Adams over the years. And um, I absolutely wanted to work with John. And John, to me, represented really sort of the leading, most established voice of American music over the last few decades. In a way, the same kind of role that Aaron Copeland had within his generation. And I wanted to honor that. John was born the same year as the Ojai Festival. So um, they were separated at birth and I wanted to rejoin them. Um, And then the other side of that bookend was to go to something or somebody that represented really um, the next burst of energy for the coming years. And it literally took me, I think, maybe about three minutes of thinking to think of this pairing of both John, who happily focused on young composers and an emerging generation, as well as Amok. And Amok represents a whole bunch of things for me. Um, It represents a new generation 
who are completely comfortable across musical boundaries and who speak multiple musical languages naturally and easily. But beyond that, they do two other things, which is they easily move through the boundaries of uh, discipline. Um, so they think in multidisciplinary collaborative ways, um, folding music back in with spoken word, with dance, with um, opera itself. And, and so that to me was a very fresh way of working. And then I think they're also representative of a new generation in that they're a collective and they're a real collective. All of their decision-making, artistic, and even how they make decisions is a function of a group dynamic in which the sum of the parts is greater than um, the, the individual parts. And that way of working, I thought, was really representative of um, something new and very fresh. So all of that combined, um, it really was natural. And then the last thing I'll say is I so extravagantly admire the Amuckers individually, and several of them already have history with the Ojai Festival. Julia Bullock, Devon Tynes, Jay Campbell has come with the Jack Quartet. Um, Miranda Cookson and Emmy Ferguson came uh, in, in last September. And all of the, those five artists of the 17 of Amok have already made such a natural artistic home from them for themselves in, o, in Ojai that it just felt like the, the most natural extension. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, when I was going through the festival, um, go, listening to the Ojai talks and looking at the programming and reading more about Amok and, you know, getting to know all of the individuals and reading their essays, I could see this amazing amount of vibrancy that you're talking about. It's just so fresh and energetic and really pushing these boundaries that of course fits into the festival boundary pushing already. But then I love, it, it is this sort of new generation of coming into it um, that is gonna be sort of showcased in this uh, entire season, I think. Yeah, so just this sort of energy I think is gonna fit right in to the Ojai festival um, and even into the setting of Ojai, just the physical setting. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be magical. It is every year, but I, I feel like this is going to be particularly special. I'm wondering if you might be willing to share what it's been like so far preparing for this festival with them. Um, have you been, are you in touch with all of Amok? Are you in touch with just Zach and Matt primarily, or how has it been? I've had one meeting with the collective. They created an Ojai working group within Amok to fold all the ideas and, and manage them. And even working in a very disciplined way, sort of define what they're trying to achieve with each idea, each program proposal, and do they fit into Amok's own objectives? I was very impressed by the very disciplined way in which they went at it. And then I've had various individual conversations. Um, I liken programming to a really great 
tennis match. It's the back and forth that defines it. And um, I threw out a couple of ideas and um, sort of general things that I knew in their work that I wanted represented. Um, but I would say the vast majority of the programming came out of this really fruitful, creative, collective decision-making process that they, they set up. And then all we had to do was fit it into the format of the festival. Oh, that's wonderful. With that, I would like to finally just ask um, if there's any sort of, I would say, not message or theme, but more of a framework or more of a large, the large intention um, that you would like listeners to come away with, with this year's festival, as opposed to maybe um, previous years. I would hope that what people take away is a sense of optimism that we're in wonderful hands with the creative spirit of an emerging generation um, who are fearless, who are socially engaged um, and very wide in their embrace of musics across time and music and its relationship to the other arts as um, kind of natural fellow members of a larger creative community. I find um, a muck to be just a burst of uh, energy and in, in the way they work. Uh, it's tempting to say they're the artists of the future, but it's much better to say they're the artists of the present. And here we, and here we are in the midst of it. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. That was R. Guzalimian introducing us to this year's music director, Amok, who will kick off the festival on June 9th with a world premiere production entitled A Passageway Between Shores. This will be one of many world premieres at this year's festival and will take place at the Ojai Art Center at 5 p.m. A Passageway Between Shores will be the perfect introduction to the multidisciplinary approach of Amok. It will feature two sets comprising of pieces that center around poetry in a complex web of personal histories, shared experiences, and human connections. I was able to catch a muck violinist, Kirgo Gwilt, just out of his rehearsal with Bobby Jean Smith, who is also one of the dancers of Amok, coming to Ojai this year. And we got a chance to chat about Thursday afternoon's premiere, A Passageway Between Shores. Yeah, so it's a program, it's two sets. Um, the first is Carolyn Chen, a composer who's based in Los Angeles now, um, who I've been working with, you know, for seven years or something. And Divya Victor, who's um, a poet. She teaches at Michigan State University and um, is... Uh, sort of, um, she's like, I mean, her, she's written this book of poems, Curb, which sort of, um, it, it kind of chronicles a pretty vast web of experiences of South Asian immigrants and South Asian Americans in the United States, um, sort of primarily based in a lot of like suburban liminal spaces um and it chronicles like a whole range of experiences from like 
experiences of parenting or domesticity, but also, you know, reactions to um, hate crimes against South Asians in the United States. The amazing thing about Divya is that she is not only an incredible poet, but an incredible performer as well. Um, her kind of recitations are just kind of viscerally captivating and powerful. And Carolyn uh, was working with some recordings of Divya's recitations of her poems to kind of musicalize them. Um, so not like setting them to music, but rather like creating um, sort of background textures and um, turning her recitations into sort of rhythmic um, assemblages and working really closely with the text, but not in the sort of conventional setting of a song, um, which I think in many ways, like obliterates the voice of the poet. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of nice to really have the views of voice in there and for her really to be like a partner in the creation of the sort of musical realization of his poems. Um, so that's the first half. The second half is um, two pieces, um, two pieces of mine. Uh, one of which I co-wrote, I co-composed and wrote with uh, Celeste Oram, who's another composer who's featured throughout the festival, um, called Craigie Hill, and that Craigie Hill is based on a traditional Irish ballad by the same name. Um, which is about a a man who's leaving his lover in Ireland um, for America, kind of searching, looking for his fortune, looking to find his fortune, who's been you know displaced by probably English landlords in the in Ireland. Um, and the poems that I've written are in sterling form, which is a form of poetry that I've been writing in for about a decade now, um, which contains a matrix of 27 word spaces, um, which allows kind of iterative um, readings of the poems kind of change the change direction and change meaning based on their directions. And they create a kind of like rhythmic musicality um, that is, um, yeah, that I found is really fruitful and productive to, to work with. Um, in this music. Um, so the music is kind of like based around almost like Baroque, like abstractions of the folk tune. Um, and I'm also premiering a new piece and another piece, uh, about 10 minutes, um, the last of Royale, which is in a similar theme of combining Starling poetry and traditional Scots music. And, the last piece on the second set is um, it's a piece by Celeste, which she arranged um, a song by Gene Ritchie, the American folk singer and songwriter. Um, and there's a nice connection there because Gene Ritchie also recorded um, Elizabeth Cronin, a, a traditional Irish, Irish singer, singing the last of uh, Algram or the last of Rochoyle and um, was very involved in sort of documenting and uh, composing music in the folk tradition. Um, and 
Celeste takes uh, Jean Ritchie's Cool of the Day and kind of transcribes it into this um, kind of polyphonic um, duo for Paul and I to play. Um, so yeah, so I think the like it's it's a pretty like complex web of things and experiences that are have there are a lot of personal connections like in terms of um, my work collaborative my long term collaborative work with Carolyn and Celeste um, and also this kind of approach to poetry uh, as a, a kind of performance art um, that exists on the same level as music rather than being kind of obliterated by it. Um, and then beyond that, this sort of um, experience of movement and displacement and searching um, for for home, for family, um, for life, for peace. Those to me are the themes that kind of hold it together. And he says, don't breathe. But he said, all the more, I'm going away. And she says, I love you all the more. And she says, that was a beautiful excerpt of Kier himself on a performance of Craggy Hill, which we played on that first concert at the Ojai Music Festival. This interconnectedness between the performers, composers, poets, and subject matter of that first concert will really show an example of just how closely and fluidly Amok works together as a group. And while we don't have any sneak peek previews of the other pieces on that program, we can give you a taste of the following concert that day, which will be our Libby Bull opening night concert at 8 p.m. This concert will be a real introduction of Amok, both as a collective group and its individual members. It's going to be jam-packed, a celebratory opening concert with several pieces by living composers, including two pieces by one of Amok's own founders, composer, conductor, and pianist Matthew O'Coyne. Let's get a quick taste here with three excerpts from the first three pieces that will be played Thursday night. In order, you're about to hear clips from Julius Eastman's Prelude to the Holy Presence of Jean d'Arc, Janis Zanakis's Rebons B, and Eric Wubbles's Gretchen am Spinrade. She said, she said, he said, Saint Michael said, Saint Catherine said, Saint Michael said, Saint Margaret said, she said, she said, he said, she said, he said, he said, she said, he said, she said, he said, John, 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 she said, John, she said, he said, John. 
So you've just heard a sample of the first three pieces that will be played on Thursday's exciting opening night concert, which will really be a showcase of a muck and also a sort of introduction to the rest of the festival programming as a whole. Festival goers will notice in the programming several threads of connection between composers, themes, and really musical energies from this opening night concert through to Sunday's finale concert. I spoke with Amok founder, director, choreographer, and dancer Zach Winokur about how Amok collaboratively thought about this year's programming and just how this opening night concert introduces us to the rest of the festival. How did you guys initially go about programming this festival? I'm just, I think that all the audience members would be curious to know, like once you knew you were going to be the music director, like what were the first thoughts? Tons, just tons and tons of first thoughts. <laughs> um, no, there were certainly a number of things that kind of came immediately to mind, especially in like the very earliest conversations after Ara like officially asked us kind of in like a back alley of Carnegie Hall, he took that aside. Um, and so when Matt and I were sort of leaving the building, we were like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And some of those things I think probably have landed in the program itself. And then a lot of it um, came through a process, um, you know, that that is kind of integral to the way that we work generally, which was hugely collaborative. Um, so there's been input from all 17 members um, and then an enormous amount of work, you know, collaborating in conversation with all of the composers and guest artists that we're working with. Um, so it was kind of like building out from a core slowly, but very organically um, and happily, you know, even though that probably sounds like an incredibly messy, messy process. It um, does. <laughs> incredibly, the kind of number of ideas that felt really right and that, you know, everyone in the company could kind of stand behind and believe in and want for this moment and also made sense to kind of do in the amount of time we had um, are all what you will see. Like we, we, I don't think there are any like really big things that we had to cut or sort of remove, which was like a total statistical improbability, but a wonderful miracle. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. I mean, maybe not totally improbable because I, it probably is a little bit natural but seeing as you've worked so long together and so deeply together. Yeah. And I think we also just, we wanted a real balance of things, you know, I mean, obviously we wanted to really honor the kind of music centric history of Ojai, um, but we are a multidisciplinary company and we also wanted to feature dance heavily and we wanted the kind of center of gravity to sort of shift throughout the festival and, and be kind of evenly placed on, on every day. Um, and I think the other thing that was really fun was kind of once we'd sort of put everything out on the table, looking at the kind of like arcs and loops and breadcrumbs between things. And I think that that's where it got really fun in terms of, and, and also very collaborative with Ara, frankly, um, in sort of helping us come to, to sort of design, you know, the pathways that you will take as an audience member. Um, and it's one of the things that, you know, is such an, such a beautiful thing to design for and incredibly unusual. Um, and I, I'm stealing this line from Ara, but it's like, you know, every other festival, music or otherwise, frankly, is usually a buffet, right? Like there's just tons offered and you'd kind of pick and choose what you want to go to. But for so many, like the core audience of Ojai, it's really more like a prefix, like where you go to everything. And doing that, designing for that is just such a beautiful opportunity that is uh, 
you know, unique actually. And, and that, that feels really, really special, you know, like to know that people will also hear things maybe a couple of different times in different contexts. And that's, that's really important to us and to the music. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny you use the you said breadcrumbs and I literally am looking at my notes that I'd written and I was like, so you want to talk about these breadcrumbs? <laughs> um, yeah. the, the, I guess I'm thinking from the opening night concert, which is so meaty. And um, if you want to talk about like how this is going to an introduction and then also you've got the breadcrumbs going to the closing night concert throughout this festival yeah yeah so i mean the the opening night concert is um i think really quite beautiful and 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 really diverse um and part of it is because it is kind of setting the groundwork for a lot of threads that you'll hopefully kind of feel and or pull (laughs) as you walk along the the four days of the festival. Um, There are some kind of big picture bookends, like the opening concert starts with just Devon Tynes singing the acapella piece by Julius Eastman, Prelude to the Holy Presence of Joan of Arc, and ends with literally every single person involved in the festival playing Eastman's Stay On It, which is an enormously celebratory kind of uh, ecstatic piece. So there's that kind of big, big, big giant architecture. We've also got a lot of other wonderful things. So we kind of returned to the dance and percussion idea again with Johnny and Julia, with Raybon's B, this incredible kind of bombastic percussion piece by Giannis and Marcus. Um, we have Eric Wubbles, this piece um, that is absolutely psychotic in the most delirious yeah. way. Yeah. And then following that, following up with the Zhevsky is such a great like back to back yeah and the Chevsky it, it feels like it both it, it sort of answers <laughs> but it also kind of answers I think um prelude to the holy presence in a beautiful way um which is basically asking us to speak boldly and then sort of at the you know near the end of this uh th- this first half of the concert we really are asked to kind of come together um and it's a bigger ensemble piece you know kind of mourning the loss of Chevsky this year and also just you know the the what it what it says politically and the text and everything I think is so important about the Attica rise up. So um, that feels again like a kind of beautiful thing. And then the Chevsky is kind of answered by um, this Bob Dylan song, Masters of War, uh, which also obviously speaks to the moment in so many ways, and unfortunately speaks to more or less every moment in American history. And I think um, I believe that this is the first time that Julia Bullock is performing this piece and. Um, she was talking about it recently, um, you know, when the war in Ukraine began and and her hearing actually Odetta sing this song. Um, and that was kind of her hook and, you know, really listening, like so many of Odetta's covers, like it's the first time, you know, I've heard Masters of War a million times, but I never really listened to the words. And when um, Julia played us in rehearsal, uh, Odetta's recording, it is just, it just becomes this extremely articulate anthem. Um, and I think, you know, that's, I, I actually haven't heard Julia sing it yet. So it's one of the things that I'm really, really excited about. Um, and then we kind of move um, into a lot of new and younger people. Um, so we have Celeste Oram and Kate Soper, two brilliant composers in a little set at the beginning of the second half with Paul and Kier, um, that kind of both loops back to um, the poetry concert before uh, earlier in the day and also to 
um, you know, Anthony Chung's piece and other things later in the program. Um, and then we also have the premiere of Michael Hirsch, uh, Scars Plummet to the Corners, which is a piece that we've commissioned. And then also Hirsch's take on the turn of the six, uh, 17th century Orlando Gibbons. And then we kind of um, rounded out with, you know, my co-founder, Matt O'Coins, um, some of his newest work, um, you know, even newer will be later. <laughs> the, the, um, but uh, two pieces that I love um, from a, a, a show we worked on uh, out at Stanford in August called No One's Rose. Um, and one is a kind of feature for Julia Bullock um, that uh, features a, a large ensemble called It's All Different From What You Think, which is a setting of Paul Ceylon poetry um, that was also kind of the, the the closing aria of No One's Rose when we did it at Stanford. Um, and then the whole concert ends with this totally exuberant dance um, piece by Matt called Shaker Dance, uh, which was one of the earliest things that he wrote for No One's Rose and is kind of some of my favorite music that he's ever done. It's just like an absolute groovy bop. Um, and I think it also kind of sets the tone for the next couple of days um, and we'll return to Matt's music a lot, which, which we all love. Amazing. Yes. I love that. And I, I it sounds like also part of this, um, part of these bread, breadcrumbs too, is that you are putting these moments of, of celebration. It feels like there, there are definitely the moments of, um, depth and intense, um, introspection, but I, I, I think it's so notable that you also have these sort of community and celebratory Aspects yeah, I mean, we need it. We need it more yeah. than we've ever needed it. And I think yeah. that you know, one of the things, um, one of the things that I remember asking Matt when we, when Ara first asked us to take this on, was you know we have um, this kind of yearly ritual of retreating to a mountaintop in Vermont all together as a company to make work. Um, but what it really feels like is you know camp for adults, <laughs> um, you know, we're at our kind of friend's house and, you know, we, there's a, there's a well water pool and there's a giant dance studio and um, there's an organic vegetable garden. And we spend a lot of time just talking and hanging out and swimming and eating together is really kind of the feature of every day. Um, and we missed that enormously over the pandemic. And I think, you know, at the beginning, we all just kind of felt sad. And then it got even darker than that, right? Because like intimacy became a kind of uh, scary thing. Um, and, you know, gathering became like weaponized in a scary way. And singing became like a COVID canon. And um, it just kept feeling like everything that we love and all the pleasures and all the joys and all of what we do and is so essential to what we do, which is coming together, thinking together, breathing together, and touching each other and trying to find out new ways of working, um, you know, were taken from us. So I think that in many ways, this is a kind of like anti-COVID <laughs> festival that, you know, is about, you know, really coming back to gathering intimacy. And we really, I mean, I think one of the special things about Ojai anyways, is that there's very, it's an extremely porous community, right? You know, you're in a tiny town, you're meeting artists and audiences at restaurants and while you're walking through the park and we're all just together. And I think all we're trying to do is amplify that as much as possible because um, it feels absolutely essential to our survival and to any hope for the future. Yes. Oh, 
I feel that. Yeah. It's, it feel it's going to be like one great big hug weekend hug. Exactly. <laughs> it feels exactly. like that's the sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. Amazing. To find these threads and connections throughout the festival programming, you can see a full festival schedule online at ohifestival.org. And if you're interested in hearing more about Amok and how they work, there's an in-depth discussion with Amok founders Matthew O'Coin and Zach Winokur in our Ojai Virtual Talks, linked in the show notes below. It's going to be a truly luminous festival this year, full of music and dance, reflection and celebration, and a vibrant energy that I think will emanate throughout the entire valley this season. All this and more kicks off Thursday, June 9th, at the Ojai Music Festival in beautiful Ojai, California. Can't wait to see you there. Thank you for listening to OhiCast, the podcast that takes a sneak peek at the year's Ojai Music Festival. For more information, you can visit ojaifestival.org and you can follow us on social media at at ojaifestivals. This podcast was written and produced by Emily Praetorius with audio engineer Louis Ng. What are you most excited for? One, just for us as a group, having this much time together and really being able to also watch each other and be in each other's work is and, and, and sort of rub up against each other again is really, really exciting. Um, and also something that feels very important to me right now as we kind of climb out of this pandemic is also just meeting people as people. <laughs>